and this is Philip. And we are your Bible Bomberman. Let's drop some bombs! You were supposed to say that with me. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Let's, Let's drop, drop some, some bombs! Man, have you heard about people like protesting Spotify? Yeah. What's that gonna do to our show? Well, they'll go to Google Podcast. Okay. Or um, one of the other ones, Pocket Cast. See, that's why you gotta put stuff on multiple pods. So we don't get canceled. Um, we're like the most cancel cancelable show like out there right now. Well, so <laughs> and our planned episodes will might get canceled. Even oh, more. Right. <laughs> I'm yep. kind of nervous about today's episode because uh, when when you came to me and was like, let's do a Calvinism podcast. This is a huge topic. I was like, what is? I I've heard of Calvinism, but I don't even know what it was really. Yeah, I basically have spent the last two months uh, studying this. And um, I did okay. After you did say it, I did look into it, and I was like, "Whoa, people really believe this." So, so Calvinism is not something that I knew about growing up. I, I had never even heard of it until after I'd become a Christian, and I read the book "Muscle and a Shovel," and that is that's the story of a of a Baptist guy who meets a Church of Christ guy, and he converts him, and. In that, he, they go and explain all the uh, different uh, doctrines, and he talked about Calvinism. I was like, what is that? He went through that whole uh, doctrine. I was like, okay, this is silly, ridiculous, uh, bogus. And then, uh, uh, more recently, I, I have come to know that a lot of people believe this. <laughs> so, okay, so Calvinism isn't like a, a denomination or a... No. Uh, like, you don't go, I'm going to the west maple calvinist church <laughs> like that's not a thing really right you're never gonna see the word uh, a calvin on a on a church building unless they're just a, a cult of, of yeah. some kind so yeah that's probably <laughs> partly one of the first things i learned it's not really uh denominations more like a doctrine it's a it's a theology if you want to use that word calvinism comes from well calvin john calvin who was one of the lead guys during the Reformation movement. What I want to know is why do people refer to themselves as Calvinists when that that just the whole that that just sounds blasphemous. <laughs> yeah, is that would be like I'm Philip Nichols, that'd be like I'm a Nicholist. Just like the Lutheran <laughs> if church. They like my teaching. You know, the Lutheran church off of Martin Luther. I mean, is is a John Calvin your Lord and Savior that you should call well, yourself a Calvinist? Okay, or? I'm sure they don't believe. That. I know. <laughs> I'm sure I know, they I know. don't believe. That. They don't believe that. <laughs> but just think about that before you. It start does sound silly. Though. Referring to yourself based off of what somebody else has thought. So, we want to talk about are his teachings biblical and what the point of this podcast. This podcast is for uh, truth seekers. So, uh, Calvinists, diehard Calvinists. They are pretty hard to reason with. <laughs> um, they're pretty hard to talk to because when you try to make an objection against Calvinism, their response usually is, well, God is sovereign and can do, he can do whatever he wants. If, if you try to re point a scripture out to them, you'll say, uh, they'll say, well, we can't understand the mind of God. You don't trust God. <laughs> it's, it's, that, that's kind of their uh, reasoning. But we all know that there's people out there who 
have a good questions and, and want to know, is Calvinism true? And we believe here on this podcast that a Calvinism is not biblical. Now, if you tell a Calvinist that Calvinism is not biblical, they will fire at you a bunch of scriptures. And if you don't know how to defend yourself, then you will be shot down. <laughs> yeah, actually, that reminds me of one of our first episodes we did about uh, evolution. We mentioned uh, being able to defend your faith is is actually mentioned in scripture and i think it was peter who said it yep and uh yeah he tells us you know you gotta be able to defend this applies the exact same way to uh false doctrine as it does to uh eugenics yep exactly because the diehard calvinists are very good and very tricky (laughs) and they can put you in a in a tight corner if you aren't prepared the the good news is is that all of the Bible verses that they use are very much out of context. <laughs> and what you got to do with all those is that you got to put them back in context to see what is the scripture actually talking about. Uh, Calvinism is very irrational. And there, there's two types of belief systems. There's irrational belief systems, which would include every religion besides true Christianity. Then there's rational belief there's only one. Ah, uh, you sound biased. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the well, one based off of reason and so, logic. So I'm guessing that the first part of this podcast, we're going to talk about, like, for people who don't know or for refresher or whatever, what Calvinism is, right? Yeah. Because I didn't know what it was growing up. There's I didn't probably, know either. <laughs> probably a bunch of people here that don't. And a lot of the times when you say stuff like, Calvinism is dumb and silly and stupid, that that doesn't really do any good, even though I totally agree with that we have to we have to know why <laughs> we, we we have to look into that so so that we can defend the scriptures uh, properly now uh, calvinism then yes it, it it comes from the writings of john calvin and we're going to talk about how some of the themes that are attributed to him he actually didn't come up with there's classical calvinism which is straight up john calvin stuff and then there's also, a whole bunch of different versions of it. Some people take some stuff, and some people yeah. don't. So some people take I the kinda, entire thing. I kind of got that impression, too, when I was looking at the it. The thing is, is that you can't do that. That's true. <laughs> if, if you take one thing, you, logically, you have to take the entire thing. The theology boils down to an acronym that Calvinists like to use called TULIP. Yep. <laughs> Actually, I, I, that's, that was my introduction okay. to it as well. I heard T, uh, it's an, it's an acronym. T stands for total depravity. U stands for unconditional election. L, limited atonement. I, irresistible grace. And P, perseverance of the saints. All right, what is all this? So basically, total depravity is that we are all totally depraved from the day we were born. So except for Adam and Eve, they weren't totally depraved until they ate of the fruit. And then everybody after that is completely and totally depraved. So we can't do anything good. I Okay, this part was one of the craziest things. And I don't know how all Calvinists believe, but they believe that we literally can't do anything good. Which, anything good. what in which, the world? Which blew my mind when I heard somebody say that. I've had people tell this. me that. Um, two uh, Baptist guys came to my door once and... Part of what they told me was that we is that we can't do anything good, and I I didn't realize now, until now that they actually meant that. Yeah. <laughs> there's well, that 
and, and you hear this a lot in uh, Christian music. There's that old song that's like, um, being good is just a fable. I just can't because I'm not able. Um, I have not heard that, but I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's where they get this from. It's the idea that we come, we totally suck. No, okay, this is way. crazy because I've heard before. <laughs> I've heard before that it's um oh, we talked about this in earlier episodes like some people believe that we can't always choose to do good but they believe we literally can't do any good like yeah. at no least good. at least that's how we are before god zaps us and we'll get into more of that uh, later but so a total depravity is can't do anything good and the rest of the tulip stuff hangs on this so if total depravity is true, then the rest of this has to be true. Because if we are totally depraved, we can't choose God. It's it, it's impossible. So that's total depravity. We are completely and totally evil. And John Calvin would he would get that from the <laughs> Catholic's belief of of uh, original sin. That's why he would say that we are totally depraved. The Catholics wouldn't even go that far to say that we're kind of totally <laughs> depraved, but yes. Anyways. Yeah, we were going to analyze whether it's scriptural <laughs> or not after this, I thought. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what that is. Unconditional election. God, before he created the world, has already chosen who will be saved and who will not. John Calvin, he didn't invent this doctrine, but he very much pushed it. And I believe Augustine was the one who kind of came up with predestination and all, and all that stuff. But most people associate it with uh, John Calvin because it was one of his hot topics. So and then a limited atonement. Jesus only died for the elect. He, he didn't die for everybody. He only died for people that he would so predestine. The you, the unconditional election, he already chose who we're going to save. And then the L, that's the only people die, he died for. Jesus yeah. only died for those elected people. Don't know why he Not the totally did that deprived when he could have just... Depraved. He could have just zapped them into heaven, but, anyways, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he he didn't die for anybody else. So, yeah. Irresist, irresistible grace. So God saves those whom He chooses to save, whether they want to or not. So we can't resist His grace, no matter how bad uh, we don't uh, want to. His grace will overpower our resistance. And yet, I don't know why anybody would want to resist the grace of God. But even if we didn't uh, want it at all, God chooses us and because we are totally depraved we can't choose him so it has to be god who chooses us and okay this also reminds me of another doctrine just a less extreme version if someone turns away from god that means oh he wasn't really saved in the first place he didn't really repent it's kind of similar to that well, just more extreme that's the next one perseverance of the saints it oh <laughs> oh okay I just, once saved always okay. saved so that is yeah exactly what you just said when we talked about a salvation in Calvinism, God is not just saving us. God gives us faith, and he also gives us repentance. So never mind all the commandments to repent, because God's just going to do that to us. And then, <laughs> from that moment on, because of that, we have to persevere and be faithful until death, because we just have to. So God if, so if you happen. turn away to them, that's a sign that, oh, he wasn't one of the elect. Yeah, if, if you appear to be a faithful but then fall away, then you were never saved in the first place. That's just a, you thought you were an elect, but oh, actually God didn't choose you. He didn't die for you. Too no. bad. Yeah, too bad. 
You know, it's interesting that none of oh, these yuck. <laughs> n- none of these phrases in the acronym TULIP are in the Bible. It talks about perseverance and saints and saints persevering, but always always in the context of saints choosing to persevere. Nowhere is the phrase a limited at- atonement in the Bible. Now, the Bible does talk about depravity, but not total depravity. <laughs> what about when it talks about subject yourselves? You can't subject yourselves if you're already being subjected. Yeah. So, <laughs> all of this boils down to you have no choice. You just go with the flow with life and see if God does something to you. You you can't even worry about... I mean, if I was a Calvinist, I'd be worried all the time if God chose me or not. You have no choice in the matter at all. So, total depravity is honestly a repackaged version of what the Gnostics used to teach in the first century. That all flesh is evil. So... Our bodies are bad, right? Bad to the bone. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I didn't really sin. My my body made me sin. That, that that That's even worse than the devil made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> the devil made me do it. Right, well, that's what they were teaching in the first century. And that all flesh is evil. And because of that, Jesus could not have been flesh. So they called him a spirit of some kind who did not die on the cross. Now, the thing is, no Calvinist is going to say that Jesus didn't have flesh you know and basically every calvinist person would admit that jesus was a human but there's a problem with that how come he wasn't totally depraved Hmm? i got no clue really so there's a little bit of a problem with the incarnation (laughs) of jesus if you say that everybody is depraved, and their answer of course is well he's god you know he's the son of god so he's exempt (laughs) there's some problems with that so a lot of the times they like to say that jesus was the exception or that mary was perfect mary was sinless and therefore jesus didn't inherit adam's sin because he was born of mary well if original sin is true then mary what what about her parents well she had a little lamb (laughs) (laughs) Uh, mary's parents were perfect too and what about the whole line? I remember I yeah, David I sinning. I remember... Um. <laughs> it, it does kind of mess things up because if you believe that Jesus was fully human and then you believe that humans are all depraved, totally depraved, then yeah, it you definitely have to jump over some hoop, loop-de-loops and go around in circles. And Yeah, so to say we're all totally depraved, you are, in a subtle way, denying that Jesus came in the flesh. As fully human. And John referred to that as the Antichrist. By the way, the Antichrist is not a guy who comes and sits in Jerusalem for seven years. Anyway, that's a different story. (laughs) The Antichrist is denying that Jesus came in the flesh. So that's the problem with total depravity is that is the that throws the incarnation of Jesus out. If if we're all totally depraved, then Jesus didn't really come in the flesh and therefore was basically a robot who who was not tempted in every way that we are. Well, I think we should take a look at what scripture says cuz it, it definitely backs up the points that we're we've been making the past <laughs> minute yes. or two. All right, so we're going to talk about original sin that uh, that's where John Calvin got his got this idea from is is that we inherit Adam's sin and babies go to hell unless they are sprinkled with water. Now, the, the Calvinists don't believe in sprinkling. <laughs> they they believe that God chooses someone. But let's look and see what scripture says. And we, we've, we went over this in a past episode, but let's go over it again. Yep. Ezekiel 18.20. 
the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness will, uh, of the wicked will be upon himself. That scripture destroys original sin. Just that scripture... Mm -hmm. By itself. <laughs> it, it definitely does. And uh, some people will point out, didn't like uh, David's son, for example, suffer for David's sin? Well, no. Uh, let's look at the beginning of this. The person whose sins will die, the son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, or uh, nor the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. He's talking about, he's talking about eternity. He's talking about sin. Mm -hmm. He's not talking about physical punishment. Yeah. You know, if... If we don't inherit our a father's sin, then how could we inherit Adam's sin? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Adam's sin passed down to all of us. And if you go back to Romans, it says because, and Calvinists know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this, where it says um, death spread to all men. It says because all sin, not because Adam sinned. So sin then is a choice and Calvinists do not like that. But for more information on this subject, go back and listen to episode 5 of our podcast on uh, Age of Accountability. We go into more detail about that kind Definitely of stuff. some good stuff. Alright, now one of the famous verses that's used for total depravity is Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. Rats. Ouch. That stinks. We're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, maybe, maybe David was just talking about himself. Well, all right. All right. So, <laughs> and on the surface, when you just read this out of context, it sounds like David was a sinner since conception. <laughs> Something we need to know and understand about Psalms is that Psalms is a book of poetry. And not everything in Psalms is to be taken uh, literally or used as a doctrinal point unless the New Testament points it out as so. So, for example, there are some Psalms in the Bible that talked about the creation story, but it's out of order. It's not the same order as we see in the Genesis account of uh, God creating well, things. Genesis 1 and 2, sometimes people get mi well, yeah. mixed up even. That's more obvious though. In, in Psalms, it's not contradicting. It's just a different style of writing. It's, it's poetry. Here in Psalms, we're, we're reading about the, the anguish of a David and his sin with Bathsheba, which is what the, the psalm is about. If we go take a look at something very plain that Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, what does he say? And said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. The magic word here is converted. <laughs> okay, right? okay. Also, yeah. what's so special about being children? You're innocent. Yeah. What does innocence mean? You're free from sin. Exactly. So, converted means, we, we, we know that to mean when you become a Christian, when you are forgiven of your sins, you have the Holy Spirit, you are out of darkness and in light when you are saved. So, that's what the biblical definition of conversion. Jesus says we need to become like children, and ch because children are innocent. Now, are, are we going to base an entire doctrine off of a plain statement of, of a historical account, or... Poetry. Well, they're, they're I'm going to go yeah. with a plain statement from Jesus himself, but... <laughs> it's not that what David said was wrong or false doctrine or anything. It's just a different style of writing. It's, it's speaking a different message. Also, David is not... He's not writing how, about 
a Christian being converted or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> he's, not, he's on a totally different topic and totally different context. Jesus is literally talking about conversion and becoming, going from guilty to innocent. Yeah, exactly. I think the very best uh, scriptures we have about sin and whose fault it is, probably going to be James 1, 14 and 15. Okay, let's see who fault, whose fault our sin is. It's all your fault. <laughs> But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. All right. So you cannot be guilty of sin unless you are first tempted. What temptations do uh, babies have? I mean, real temptations, you know, lusts. <laughs> that is especially a conceived fetus who, is not, who hasn't actually come out yet and is crying for milk. <laughs> You're... Calvinists will say that person is totally depraved and is going to hell unless, unless uh, God regenerates him. Now, yeah, some Calvinists believe in age of accountability, but some don't. And I guess you get to pick which one you want to believe. But you cannot be guilty of sin unless you are tempted. And it follows this progression of giving birth to sin or get, giving birth to death through that sin. So are we going to base whole doctrine off this straightforward statement from, from James or from... Some poetry. And the poetry in the Bible is great, but it's still poetry. And you, you need to figure out the straightforward stuff and then run the poetry through those filters. That's how the Bible works. You got to get the literal stuff straight first before you start interpreting the, the figurative kind of stuff. And that's how God designed the Bible to be studied. You can get some pretty wacky theories if you if you start with the the poetry. <laughs> yeah, or like Revelation, or we won't get into that. But and then James four uh, four seventeen talks about. Yep, let me read it yeah, real fast. Go ahead. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Yeah. So the key to to this part is knowledge. You know, you have to know what you're doing in order for it, or what you're in this verse, what you're not doing, in order for it to be sin. You know. Babies don't know don't know what they're doing. <laughs> now, you can put a eight-month-old baby in the, probably the worst environment possible. Sin, temptations everywhere. My, and they're still not yeah. going to be able to sin. Uh, my son over there who's uh, crying uh, doesn't know that he's interrupting this uh, podcast or is being loud. But, you know, he he's a baby. He, 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 he doesn't know any better. He doesn't even know what a podcast is. Yeah, it's not like the guy who runs out and flips over this table who knew exactly that that was the wrong thing to do and destroyed all of our equipment that it didn't happen but <laughs> if it did happen that's different you know that's sin <laughs> and we would pray for that guy and pray for his deliverance from satan yeah all right so <laughs> yeah continuing with total depravity is it is it impossible for non-christians to do good. Now, we're not talking about Christians here. We're talking about non-Christians. Are those people always sinning? Or is it possible for them to do good sometimes? Now, Jesus did say to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? No one is good. In Romans 3, all have sinned. There is no one righteous, not even one. Calvinists love that. <laughs> they love to go there for and Romans 7 for a total to try and prove that we're totally depraved. But does that mean that every single thing they do is unrighteous? Now, I could answer this question um, just just with my brain and think, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I think so. But 
but uh, we we can do better than that. We got some scripture here. Uh, Luke 6, 32 through 33. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Whoa. I mean, think about it. Seriously. Someone who is not a Christian gives their life for their child. So they did that with evil motives. And that's what a Calvinist will say. Anything that you have done that appears to be good, you did so with evil motives or or a selfish motive. That's not yep. that that that's not true. And the 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 scriptures cannot back that up. And honestly, that just sounds like a great that excuse to crazy. keep on sinning. So <laughs> nobody is always sinning per- perpetually. Now people are in a state of sin. People who are not Christians are deemed unrighteous and not good by God until they become Christians. But that doesn't mean that everything they do is a sin. You you have a choice to make. And non-Christians are even described as being slaves to sin. But still, not everything you do is sin. So I wish there were examples of actual people in the Bible who weren't Christians but did something good to prove that total depravity is not true. It's too bad. Wait, there is. Oh. Let's read about Cornelius. You surprised me there. <laughs> Shocked. All right. Got to remember something before we read this. Those of you who are listening. Someone who was totally depraved cannot choose God. Okay? You, if, you're, if you're totally depraved, it is impossible for you to do anything good. Now, go ahead and read Acts chapter 10, well, 1 and 2. Technically, I believe the elect can't even choose God. And God chooses them. But, true. Okay, sorry. That's very, very true. <laughs> but, okay. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Wait a second. Cornelius is listed as doing all these good things. He's even described as God-fearing. He sounds like a great dude. All right, if you're totally depraved, this is impossible because the gospel has not yet been preached to him. And our Calvinist friends like to tell us, you know, we like to ask them, what's the point of preaching? You know, what's the point of evangelism if God's just going to choose whoever he wants? I mean, nothing we say is going to change anything or nothing you say is going to change anything. And what they like to say is, well, God does it through our preaching. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. And they're like, we got to find the elect. That's our job, basically. All right, so Cornelius doesn't get preached to, the gospel doesn't get preached to after him. Salvation does not come to him yet. Yet he's described before that as God-fearing and devout and doing all these good things. Yeah, total depravity is not true, okay? <laughs> Based off of, even off of this, and Lydia and her household was the exact same way before um, she had the gospel preached to her. Uh, notice what it says in Acts eleven fourteen about uh, Cornelius. Or do you have that? Acts eleven 14, I'll go there. And he will speak words to you which by which you will be saved, you and all your household. All right, so talking about uh, Peter, because uh, Peter is the one who went to preach to Cornelius, the very first uh, Gentile convert. He, um, in order for him to be saved... He needed to hear the word. So some Calvinist people like to bend this and say, well, he was saved before 
that that that's why he was God fearing and and uh, doing all these good things. But no, he didn't hear the words yet, and they made that clear in chapter eleven, verse fourteen, that he heard the words for salvation after he was being described as God fearing, and as if the rest of his story about him being baptized there wasn't enough evidence <laughs> of that. All right, so that's total depravity for you, and that's how. That's why it is not true. We totally don't have time to go over every single verse and reason why total depravity is false. But you get the picture from Cornelius and from some of these other scriptures that, yes, someone who is outside of Christ can do good things. And yes, they can choose God. It is possible. Basically, you are you are responsible for your sins. And I know nobody likes to hear that. But you are. You are responsible. Everybody has sinned because they chose to do it. When the Bible says, "Deceived by there is no lust. one," there is yeah, there is no one uh, righteous, uh, not even one. It's because they, cho- it's because we've all chosen to be uh, unrighteous, not because God made us that way. And yeah, so <laughs> and yeah, if total depravity is true, then predestination has to be true. But total depravity is not true, which we've just destroyed. <laughs> um, so predestination cannot be true either but uh, let's go over it anyways so unconditional election is where god chooses people before the world was even created he chose everybody who was going to be saved now the calvinist got to pay attention to the way they word things it's always worded in a way they always say it like god chose certain people to show mercy and grace and love and compassion to you know, God showed his love to me. You know, God showed his love and mercy. They always like to use those words, love and mercy and grace. And they, they, they don't like to talk about what God also does, the, the God of Calvinism, that is. If this is true, then you also have to accept the fact that God also chooses people to uh, go to hell without their choice. Somebody could... Uh could be a truth seeker and do all they can to be saved, but nope. He won't want the elect. To me, that doesn't sound like a God of mercy and love. No, it, it, <laughs> it, it really doesn't. <laughs> Just being and honest. We got to remember, um, love is like the ultimate definition of who God is. First uh, John, you know, go, go and read that. I don't think you're going to be a Calvinist after what you read about the love of God there. But they like to do that. They like to say that God is loving and merciful and he, he chose to show love and mercy to some people, but they don't like to talk about the other part of that where God created people from the beginning for no other purpose than burning in, in hell for all eternity. Does it sound like a loving, merciful father? Um, no. <laughs> nope. It, I don't and and this is, I think, one of the big reasons why people hate, quote-unquote, Christianity. And one of the one of the great misunderstandings about God, because this really does make God to be out a monster. You know, it, it's not just, it's completely unfair. And it's so random too. Like God like chose me, but he didn't choose my friend over there. What, what if God actually didn't choose me? You know, I, and a nobody can truly trust in their salvation. It's, it's completely sad. And uh, it turns a lot of people away too. Yeah. Like, like you say, like somebody who who might be in a struggle phase about like oh about how horrible hell is, and they might hear a Calvinist teach. Well, some people go to hell no matter what. 
Mm-hmm. They got no choice. And it can turn people straight the other direction. Actually, a lot of atheists um, love to go, they love to debate with Calvinists because when it comes to philosophy, I think that's philosophy, type type of things, they destroy Calvinists. Mm-hmm. All right. So there are a bunch of scriptures in the Bible about predestination, you know, predestined to become conformed to to the image of God. It also talks about his foreknowledge. Now, what is that foreknowledge? Have any guess? I didn't write this in the notes. <laughs> well, God is an all-knowing God, so it's, it's impossible for us to even comprehend, for one thing. But <laughs> is it possible that God knew who was going to be saved this whole time? I yes. mean, <laughs> I, yes, I do. <laughs> now, okay, th- there's the other people. Um, Calvinists always debate. I forget what they're called. Um, Arminians, I think, and they're the opposite. They think, you know, we have free will, but because of that, God doesn't know the future, so God doesn't know who's going to be saved. And it's like, come on, guys. I mean, God is bigger than both of those. Yeah. God does predestine us, and what he predestines us for is to become conformed to the image of his son, which we can't do that if we're totally depraved. And God, because he's all-knowing, he knows he's going to choose him. So yeah, predestination is true. It's just not what they think it is. It's God's overall plan. And just because he predestined you to do something doesn't mean that you're going to go through with it. So yes, God God knows who's going to be saved. Knowing knowing what's going to happen and free will are not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Are not the same thing. Uh, just like um, you're watching a rerun of sports and uh, somebody walks in the room. You already know who's going to win. You saw the score earlier. You can make them guess who's going to win, even though it already happened. They have no clue. I don't know. This might be a bad, bad illustration. But anyway, the fact that it already happened and somebody already knows what's going to happen, the guy still has no clue. He's still going to make his decision moment by moment. Yeah. Because so he has free will. But that might be a bad illustration. <laughs> I don't know. Everything <laughs> in God's mind has already happened he he knows exactly what choices everyone's gonna make but we still get to make that choice and god doesn't choose anything for us and if he did he couldn't be a loving god anyways so the most what calvinist the very thing they they like to go to is romans chapter 9 they'll shove this in your face and say see see god chooses people before you know, before 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 uh, the world uh, and before, uh. <laughs> predestination is true and you're wrong. See, Romans nine defeated you. Your argument, not that it matters what I mean, a Calvinist says, because um, according to Calvinism, nothing you say is gonna change what God does. <laughs> I mean, well, what, what's the That's point true. of you? <laughs> That's true. Uh, what's the point of debating it? I mean, life goes on and we can't do anything we'll just, about it. We'll just see who wins the lottery in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Romans 9, um, read verse uh, 14 through 18. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then does it not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on the God who has mercy? For The scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires? Wow. Okay, 
I can understand why someone would read that and start to feel a little scared. Like, oh, maybe this Calvinism theme is true. Maybe there's something to that. Because on the surface read, it sounds like, yeah, we don't have free will. God, you know, he did that to Pharaoh. He hardened his heart without his free will. And he has mercy on some and others he doesn't. So it kind of sounds like Calvinists may be right in this. But before we interpret this, and before we look at the context of Romans 9, I think we should look at some other scriptures that clear some things up for us before we interpret this, that are more basic foundational points. You got Ezekiel 18.23? Yep. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? All right, so God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But because he's sovereign, I guess, he just stamps basically condemned saying, on your forehead before you're born. <laughs> I have no pleasure in this, but... Um, but instead, <sighs> you should turn from your ways and live. Oh, okay. Which is impossible if you're a Calvinist, by the way. If you're totally depraved. Anyway, what about Second Peter <laughs> three nine? I think this is even more obvious. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay, that is an extremely important foundational point. God does not want anyone to perish. You really think someone like God is going to do something that he doesn't want to do? Nope. I mean, yeah, in in a way, that is kind of true. God does punish the wicked, and he doesn't want to do that, but he does do that because that's who God is. He is just and righteous. Reminds me a lot like parenting. But if God <laughs> doesn't have to do something, then he's not going to do something. He, he's not going to do something that he doesn't have to do because he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> if, if that made sense, because if God is not willing that anyone should perish... That tells us that God is not going to choose for you if you're going to be perished. Okay, the second part of that phrase is just as important. He says, uh, but for all to come to repentance. Okay, if there's only a few elect, how is he willing that all come to repentance? Yeah. Does all. that mean he's willing for everybody to repent, but uh, not everybody, but some of the repented people go to hell? Is that what it yeah. means? And if no. you're totally depraved, <laughs> if you're totally d- depraved, it's impossible to repent because you, you can't do anything good. So this verse shatters Calvinism. Uh, what about uh, Matthew 25 and verse 41? Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. All right. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was not prepared for man. You know what these verses tell us? Is that people can only go to hell because they chose to go there. If heaven, if hell right. was prepared for the devil and his angels, and God's not willing that anyone should go there, then the only logical explanation is that people are there because of choices that they made. God has allowed it, people to choose. Yeah. It sounds like God is rooting for us to have eternal life, for all to have eternal life. And if we choose eternal death instead, that's your choice. Yep. Unless you're elected. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Get enough votes. (laughs) All right. Now, we have to interpret Romans 9 through those scriptures that we just read. 
those basic principles that God doesn't want anybody to go to hell and that it is a choice that we all get to make. And that's good, actually, because if it's not our choice, then we can never be confident in our salvation. If, it, if we do get to choose, then we can be absolutely confident about our salvation because we chose it. God did the heavy lifting, but choosing to be saved is, is our responsibility. It's a great gift. And because we get to choose, we get to be confident in that also. So now we can interpret uh, Romans 9 correctly, although it still is kind of confusing. If you read the first part of uh, Romans 9, you, you will understand a little bit better that this passage of scripture has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. Uh-oh. You weren't expecting that now, were you? <laughs> ah! Romans chapter okay. 9. <laughs> you scared me. Uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about the true Israel, how the Gentiles are, you know, who are justified by faith are and have the, the promise of the Spirit are true Israel now because of their faith. The, 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 the true descendants of Abraham are those because of their faith and who have uh, the promise of Abraham, which Galatians tells us is the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans 9 is about. So the rest of this stuff, Paul is talking about God's plan and how God orchestrated history and brought Israel into existence by Jacob and Esau and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart process. And that's the context that we're in. Yeah, God did harden Pharaoh's heart. The Bible says that, and we're not saying that he didn't. But, but Pharaoh also hardened his own heart. You know, God knew the kind of person Pharaoh was. Well, Pharaoh hardened his heart before God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pharaoh, he was a very arrogant, evil, wicked person who, you know, very stubborn. And God knew that. That's why he raised up Pharaoh, so that he could demonstrate his power through that. God chose Jacob to be the person who the, the uh, promise of Abraham would go through before Jacob or Esau did anything good or bad. This is not about salvation of the soul. He, it, it doesn't say God predestined Esau for eternal condemnation in hell and yay, Jacob gets to go to heaven. And obviously we all know where Pharaoh went, but <laughs> again, that's his choice. All right, so let's read verse 19 through 24. There's some pretty interesting stuff in here. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to its molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And... He did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. That, the whole point of the book of, uh, of Romans is about uniting Jews and Gentile Christians under the system of faith. And that's what particularly this chapter is about. And... Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's not about a salvation. I find it very interesting, the verse where it says, he endured with much patience vessels of wrath. So, 
if this is talking about predestination, how much patience did God need for him to stamp condemned to hell sinner on someone's forehead before they're born? How come God has to patiently endure doing that? I mean, it sounds like a, such a quick and easy job. <laughs> to me, again, that, again, that's not what Paul and the Holy Spirit are talking about here. It's, it's him, ta- God talking about how he had to patiently endure people like Pharaoh so that his, God can execute his plan and create the nation of Israel through all of that and how God orchestrated history. Yes, uh, um, Romans chapter 9 is emphasizing the sovereignty of God and how he is the master planner and how he used and put people where he wanted them. But the crazy thing is, and this is the most mind-blowing part, is that everybody still had free will. Now, what's a more powerful God? A God that doesn't give anybody free will and plays a you know this a video game on like we're, <laughs> Place we're, video we're all game. we're all basically video game characters and he's uh, controlling all of us or a god that orchestrates the history and this whole storyline yet we're using people's free will uh, to do it i mean we, we can't even wrap our minds it, around it yeah i can't even wrap it's my mind way around too it. and we know that god and we're going to talk about more of the, more of this in the next episode but we know that we have to have a free will all all the active voice verses in the bible telling us to repent believe you know why would we need to be told that if we weren't going to choose that you know those are things that we are told to do yeah (laughs) repentance the whole concept of repentance goes against uh calvinism completely but yeah they 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 say that god subjecting gives it to you (laughs) and then you yeah so that's how it works that yes god is sovereign your uh, Calvinist friends are going to like to say, or uh, quote the part where it talks about, um, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? They like to say that if you're having any ob- uh, objections about predestination, uh, they'll say, you just need to trust God. You don't trust God's uh, sovereignty. God is sovereign. We can't understand the mind of God. It's, you know, it's really interesting it's to crazy. me when uh, things like that pop up. Uh, and I'm sometimes I I'm like wait what what does that just say I I get worried because I want to make sure I get everything right of course mm-hmm. and get my doctrine straight but I'll read that and be like oh no what, what did I get something wrong and I'll read before and after that section and I'll be like oh that wasn't even talking about that this yeah. is about something completely you gotta after. put everything back in context yeah. and those basic yeah. points that we pointed out earlier have to be established first. The book of Romans is not, and this is going to make a lot of denominational people mad. The book of Romans is not the book that you s- preach the gospel with. It's <laughs> the Roman road, you know, that's, no, throw that out, throw, throw, throw that out the window. Yes, you can use Romans 3 to say that all have sinned. But when you're preaching, you start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and introduce uh, Jesus that way. You don't just start taking all these verses out of uh, Romans to preach the gospel because it's more complicated. It, it's higher up uh, level learning <laughs> stuff. It, it's not the base. You got to have the basics figured out first. Roman, Romans covers so many topics, but, but yeah, it is not very many uh, passages in Romans that explain uh, the gospel, but it is kind of some meat. So context is your friend. Don't forget. Definitely.
All right, so we can either have this be a two-hour long podcast or we can just say see you until next time. <laughs> I, th- I think we should pause here and continue the rest. The rest might be a shorter. shorter oh, we'll one, see. We can make it long. Well, we'll just see. kidding. I don't know what it will be. All right. Well, <laughs> we hope that those of you who are listening will continue to listen. And our our hope is that some of you who have stumbled upon this podcast, who are Calvinist, are asking questions now. Um, um, maybe we've said something to you and now you're saying, wow, that actually makes sense. Or, hey, you know, what I believed is... You know, is it is it's kind of being challenged here. I I, I should uh, I should go and look. You know, don't be one of those unreasonable guys that just says, "Oh, God is sovereign." You know, yeah, God does whatever He wants. Exactly. <laughs> um, if He, yeah. So uh, why did He write the Bible? You know, uh, why did He write the Bible if He's not going to do what He said He's going to do in it? Also, if you have any uh any questions or challenges or think we misrepresented in any way, that's always. We love interaction. We've got some bad interaction in the past, but... Well, that was just trolls. You know? Yeah, trolls. <laughs> if, if, if you're that honest and actually do great. want to talk to us on our Facebook page, we will definitely not ignore you on that unless the power goes out and our phone batteries die. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, God willing, we will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Until our next video... Or not video. Until our next podcast, see we will guys. see you guys.